Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. Welcome to In The Clouds podcast. This is Bobby along with Cole and Nick. Got a special episode for you guys today. We're going to be diving into CCPA and how it relates to the technology element as far as Salesforce is concerned. Um, We'll also be touching on the bill in general and then diving into how how we solve for it and how uh, we've seen some of our customers solve for it as well and, and a little bit of our point of view on it. And then a very special, completely unrelated at the end where we dive into our favorite villains. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. Um, so Cole, Nick, how are you guys doing? Pretty fantastic, Bobby. Good morning. I was, I was really hoping that one of you would be like a pretty terrible. Yeah, well, it was um, awful. I stubbed my toe, um, shoulders numb from sleeping on it. It was just, it's been rough. It's been a rough life today, Bobby. Well, hopefully things will turn out for you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> so starting off, I know that Cole, you've done a ton of research on um, CCPA and what it is and kind of how it went into effect. So we can start there. And then uh, as we go through, kind of talk through some of the main elements of it, why it's important, what some of the violations are, that sort of thing. So I'll let you kind of kick it off. Yeah. So uh, California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw out the disclaimer that I'm nobody's legal representative for this. Um, because as, <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, as, uh, as uh, vague and as some of the understandings are and the um, enactment and how it's actually being sort of um, put into circulation right now, it's a lot of that's pretty unclear to some folks. So hopefully this helps clear things up. Um, but like anything, this is, at least in the U.S., the, the first bill of its kind. And so we expect some things to change. We expect some of the um, uh, repercussions and, you know, to, to violations and things like that to probably change. Um, so, so we'll get into what some of that looks like. Um, but kind of give the, the backstory. So initially, well, sorry, go ahead. Let me ask, let me ask you something, Cole, because the, the thing that I'm hearing is that, like, or I'm just going to quote somebody who's like, isn't that just the U.S. version of GDPR, the California version of GDPR? And I think um, that's, uh, yeah, okay. so it's, it's, there are similarities, but um, we'll, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of differences between the two. Um, I think GDPR is everybody's first, you know, kind of initial understanding of what a privacy act like this is uh, and what it means for um, customers and especially digital marketers. Um, but there are some really big differences um, that, that are, you know, really key to understanding what CCPA is versus assuming the similarities to GDPR. So um, I kind of start with a little backstory. So GDPR and CCPA, both have just been in a, 
a long-standing debate and for a long time um, coming down the pike at us. So privacy bill AB 37, Bobby, that's the scientific name for CCPA when it was being passed. That was actually passed initially in, in June of 2018. So it actually gave us like a year and a half um, because it technically went in, um, is active as of January this year. Uh, so it technically gave us a year and a half to prepare, but still nobody's prepared. So what, what CCPA is essentially allows any consumer in the state of California to request to see all of their information uh, that any company has saved on them, as well as a full list of like any shared data that they'd be providing for third parties or anything else. On top of that, the law also allows consumers to sue companies if the privacy guidelines have been violated. So CCPA has a, a much more broader definition of what personal identification or, or PII or personal information is. Um, and so GDPR is a little more narrow for CCPA. It's anything, I mean, it's sure it's, it's you know, name, address, you know, your normal unique identifiers, um, any, of course, like social, email, things like that. But as well, it would be anything from, you know, if you were a, a health customer collecting biometric information or using, um, you know, the customer averages of, you know, heart rate and things like that, geolocation information, even implicit and explicit data that can be drawn. So if they're, if they're um, filling out a, a preference center, letting you know what the preferences are, um, you know, favorite colors of fabrics or certain styles of clothing, things like that that they have interest in you have to divulge that as information based, uh, based on that individual, individual consumer as well. And then on top of that, anything that's like browse behavior, affinities collected, things like that, that may be implicit is also considered data on this person, even though it hasn't been explicitly given to you or you know, uh, objectively verifiably um, obtained from something that um, has been offered from the customer. So, that, that's, that's kind of a, a striking difference between CCPA and GDPR. Um, one thing to note, though, in, in April of last year, they did pass an amendment to the act saying that employee data is not considered part of this. So I, as an employee of Lev, if I said, hey, Lev, what, what uh, data do you have on me? They don't have to delete that because I'm their employee. Even if they, even if they got rid of me, they would, they would still be able to keep that on, on track because I'm a former employee. Um, so that is, is stricken from um, this broad definition of what PII really is, but um, that, that's like the only exception. Other than that, if you're a customer living in California, you have access to this. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit in a second about what it means to be either in California or does this relate to everyone else as well. Questions or comments on that so far? I didn't know the employee part. That's interesting. It makes sense, but yeah, I didn't know yeah. that portion of it. I think that was like a loophole that they were really afraid of. Cause like, I guess some employees, any, any disgruntled current employee could just kind of reach out and really sting you for a, a lot of violations because you would have so much information on them. So yeah, I, but that was just passed uh, several months ago. So well after the fact though, but, but still before it went live. Um, Do you want to talk just very briefly about like the, the financial risk of, of non-compliance. So if, for example, I were to get sued and I'm a, you know, a company based in Minnesota from some Californians that 
you know, I, I don't have all their information or I don't respond in time. What does that look like? So when a customer reaches out and says, I demand to have my information or see what information you have on me, uh, a company has 30 days to comply with that. Um, and, and so, so the, the customer will reach out, um, regulators will actually notify the company of any violation. So you have 30 days to, to comply and say, okay, so I, I was uh, out of order to have, to have collected this or shared with this third party. Um, I need to rectify that within 30 days. If it hasn't been resolved, I, there's, this is still a little bit of gray area as to what the fines actually are. Um, if, it's, if it's viewed as accidental by the company, then apparently the fine is $2,500 for each violation. If, if the regulators deem that this is uh, intentional or you knew and decided to collect or share or do something with that data that's outside of compliance on purpose, then it's $7,500 per record. And so what that means is if you have a thousand people, a uh, thousand customers in California, you owe $7.5 million for your violation. Um, and so that's, that's different from GDPR though, because GDPR would say like, if, if a company has infringed on multiple provisions uh, provided in, in GDPR, then the fine is actually according to like whatever the biggest mistake was. So like the most gravest infringement uh, will cause will cause a um, a fine of X. You don't have the summation of all your fines and all your violations, so it's only the biggest one. In this case, that that's that's different. So, with CCPA, it's you know every every violation you have stacks up, so you get you get no break. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, California stands to make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, California and the. Uh, the customers thereof too. Um, but the thing is, though, that that's what, what's being discussed is this is this is being talked about uh, in in New York already, in other states, and there's uh, also um, they've already begun the debates of what the uh, a federal act just like this that would supersede CCPA uh, for the entire United States. So, and it, it probably will happen. So this probably won't remain state by state. It'll probably end up going nationwide. So it's, you know, and, well, and then we'll get into this a little bit later, but to that point, a lot of our customers, a lot of what we're seeing is people preparing for that, right? So even though it's only California, they're doing it across the board and kind of just assuming that it's going to be national. Exactly. As they should be every, every, a responsible company should do that. And we're already seeing like um, a couple of companies that are just assuming this across the board. So like Microsoft did it, uh, Mozilla for Firefox did it. They're, they're saying like, even though right now this law is for California consumers, um, we're going to just assume it's based for everybody. That way we don't have to change anything when federal or other state mandates come out. Um, so that, that kind of gets into the, the little bit of the murky waters of like, who does it actually affect? So I think some companies have kind of like sat back a little bit like, well, well, we're not in California, so we're, we're probably okay. And that's a really devastating uh, kind of perception to have of this because it basically kind of falls into two categories uh, the, uh, of companies that are, that are affected. Um, it's any company that serves California residents and has $25 million in annual revenue, they have to be in compliance with this 
or a company of any size that has personal data on at least 50,000 people or that collects more than half of the revenues from the sale of personal data, they would also have to fall into compliance for this law. So those are the companies that are affected, but also the customers that are affected. So it's, it's like I said, right now, California-based customers, but eventually, you know, any customer um, nationwide or globally, so to speak. Um, but the bill is going to provide them the individual right to sue. And, um, you know, this is the first time they're ever going to be allowed uh, class action lawsuits for any breaches or damage deemed from this law. Um, so, like, yeah, like we said, anybody that's a, a company that's approaching this properly is just going to assume this is across the board, not just for California residents. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it, it went into effect on the 1st, right? January 1st? Yeah, but it went into effect on the 1st, but there's been, um, I, with a law like this to be passed, it's going to turn so much upside down that there's sort of this unofficial buffer of like six months um, where the California Attorney General came out and said that even though we can't widespread enforce it right now uh, across the board, we're probably looking at more of like July 1st for companies. So we're allowing this grace period for six months. But after that, they plan on cracking down. And so the, the direct quote is, and I'll, I'll just read this directly so I'm not missing anything, um, is that we're going to try to help folks understand our interpretation of the law. And once we've done these things, and so that's what he's talking about is that first six month buffer period. Once we've done these things, our job is to make sure there's compliance so we will enforce. And that's directly from the California Attorney General. So basically saying you've got six months to get your act together. And then after that, there's no excuse for not you know, being in compliance for this. So those violations start to come pouring down in July. It's been funny because some customers that we've worked with have, or way ahead of this were starting to work on it you know, six months or so ago. And then others are just starting to work on it now. So it, it's almost like, you know, the, the grace period of, you know, like when you tell someone, hey, uh, if you could be there at seven, that'd be great. But we're not actually going to start until eight. You know, they're not coming until eight. So yeah. <laughs> I kind of view it the same. This grace period was almost like, uh, we know that people aren't totally responsible. So we'll give them a little bit of time to get their act together, like you said. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much with data in general, though. I mean, it's, you know, there's such a buzzword craziness going on right now that we've kind of known for a while that we've been sort of existing in this Wild West frontier of data and data regulation before this. And so, I mean, companies have been able to, you know, take implicit and explicit data and have all sorts of information and intelligence on the customer that sometimes is used really well and a lot of times can be used in very shady, uh, you know, dodgy dealings and, and resold to other third parties and things like that, that we kind of intrinsically knew was not okay. Um, but we know it's going on or, you know, your information is out there just being passed around. And, um, just because like CCPA is right now for California, it's kind of more of a commonsensically driven thing where, if, if it feels wrong to have this much data and to be sharing with other uh, third parties and things like that, if it felt like you were getting away with something, you probably were. And now it's coming to fruition that you can't really do that anymore. You know, it's, it, 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 I feel like this is just kind of explaining what 
you know, general privacy, integrity, accessibility, and transparency of data should have been the entire time or what we've known it should be, right? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like with CCPA specifically how, and I think we've already started to see it where you mentioned earlier Mozilla, I think some other browsers too have started to diminish their support for certain types of cookies on websites and things like that to make sure that people aren't just capturing any kind of random information um, that they may not want to. And obviously I think all of us have seen it, you know, whenever you go to a website now, if they are collecting cookies, you've got to accept and click that little box or check box to say, I understand, which I don't think is probably prohibited anybody from going to any website, but I think it at least makes you more aware. Yeah. And it, that'll, that'll come to a lot of folks that like, just don't care that cookies are, are you know, that, that they're being tracked or the browse, because that's going to, you know, that's going to enhance my browsing experience. If you're putting products and services and offerings in front of me or content that's relevant to me, great. I want that. You know, the only difference for, for marketers in that case is just to say like, Hey, by the way, I need to make you aware of this. You, the customer needs to know that I'm, I'm doing this. And that's all, that's all the, the, the change from that standpoint really is to them. So kind of, so transitioning to how we help and what is our take on it here at Lev. And like we kind of already talked about very few companies that we've met with have, have been prepared for it. And to, to kind of put it bluntly, it's really not an excuse, right? Especially since, like you mentioned, Cole, some of the fines and the repercussions of these things, and just about everybody is affected, um, especially those who are utilizing Salesforce based on the revenues and, and employee sizes. So, and it, not only that, but it's also, I, I don't want to say ethically or morally, because much like you don't want to be the legal representation, Cole, I don't want to be the, the moral compass for anybody out there, but from collecting personal data and having access to it and all of those different things, I think it makes a lot of sense for us to say, hey, Old Navy, for example, I want to know all the data that you have on me and all the transactions, um, all of the browsing, all of those different elements. And if I want that deleted, it should be my right to have it deleted. So I think it makes a lot of sense to do that. And I think that just overall, it will make companies more aware of how they should better handle and respect consumer data. We've all heard about, you know, different breaches and things that Experian or other customers or other companies where certain things have happened and customer um, privacy or customer data has been breached. And hopefully this kind of puts a new onus on, I think, you know, just in the conversations we've had with some of our customers and other companies, data security has become much more stringent than it was, you know, I would even say even a year ago or two years ago, or some of the folks that we work with have very stringent um, data security policies, accessing that data, which I think is definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. And I think like a lot of, there are a handful of companies and we've gotten to work with, with a lot of them um, that when, when GDPR kind of sounded the, you know, the warning siren across the, across the globe of what, can and should be being done for data security. Like a lot of companies heard that and were like, okay, we need to start thinking about this and, and getting our act together. I think a lot of companies too have, have kind of been the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, uh, just, you know, data cleanliness and the, the, what we collect, we, we've, we collect a lot of stuff, we don't use a lot of it, or, you know, we're just not in, in a position right now where we're ready or capable of, of you know, turning the ship. And so I, I think we've got time those are companies right now that, that 
are, or at least should be um, kind of more in panic mode uh, with the timeline coming up because regulators don't really care if you're, if you feel mm-hmm. like your data architecture is in place and that your processes and um, the people are, are in place or, or how, how much um, data you have to sift through in storage to determine what you really have um, and can divulge to customers. Like they, they don't care about the personal, you know, company situation that, that you're going through right now um, or, or whether you're even using the data. If you're collecting it and you have it, that counts. And you, better, you, you should be ready to go. I think on the flip side of it, I've really enjoyed talking with companies and customers who have taken a hard line stance on not collecting this data or not collecting this data because it's all data, but collecting data where they feel like it's outside of the bounds of what the customer has given them. So, for example, buying data from or what we would consider second party data where they just made a hard line of we're not going to buy email addresses, we're not going to buy you know segmented data from other companies, even though it's perfectly legal. They've just kind of drawn that line in the sand to say we're we're not going to go down this road. We want to respect our customers and the people who are interested in our brand more organically than trying to consume or grow our volume of data based on purchasing it. Yeah, I like that too. It's it's we're we're gonna we're gonna work for it more than than buy it, and because. I feel like they're kind of going off of that. This feels like it's not right. Even though technically it's legal, legal to buy this stuff, it feels like it's not right. And I would imagine if they, um, and you know, many of them are, uh, but I would imagine if they look at what the return is on some of those, what the customer engagement is from that, um, you know, what the return on those types of leads that they would be buying, things like that, they're probably just making a, a, a business-wise and fiscally intelligent decision to begin with. By doing that. Mm-hmm. For sure. So just to get a quick example of how we've helped, one of our, our customers last year came to us. They're a global media and entertainment company that has 50 different divisions and business units across the world. And as they started going down this road of, to your point earlier, called GDPR was certainly stringent, but now CCPA is an element on top of that. They took that same approach to every one of these different divisions and business units. So they're utilizing Salesforce Marketing Cloud and across these 50 business units they have in their account, they want to do a couple of things. One is identify the unique identifier. How are we recognizing who is a customer between each of these elements? Create a table that normalizes these unique IDs. Obviously, they're 50 different businesses, so their data model is different, their unique identifier is different, and subscriber key is different within Marketing Cloud. So we wanted to make sure that we were able to grab all of these different folks and pull them up um, to normalize this data and be able to address each of those kind of three core CCPA elements, like Cole mentioned earlier, is being able to opt out, uh, being able to request for access to the data that you have on me, and then also request to delete that data that you have on me. And so um, by doing, first identifying each of the business units and their unique ID within them, uh, we were able to pull all of the uh, subscribers for all those different 50 business units and normalize them. So that way, if they're in 25 different divisions, we'd have all of the data across that on one record. And then in addition to that, what they wanted to do was put in, uh, in place ongoing governance to make sure that people weren't importing data or creating data extensions that were out of compliance for what they were trying to do to make sure that their CCPA compliance was intact, no matter what folks did within their individual business units and marketing cloud. 
And so uh, what we did was at the parent level, we created an automation with script activities to pull all of the data extensions um, from each of the different business units and essentially log them every single night to see what data extensions were created, were they created using the data extension template that we've built to make sure that the data we're collecting, the data fields and the data field types are the same that we've kind of put in place to be uniform across the organization are there. And then if anyone is out of compliance, we actually grab the data extension name, the business unit name, and we send that to the Salesforce Marketing Club product manager. So that way every day they'll be notified if a group is out of compliance, which group it is, and then they can take that and utilize that information to let those folks know and make sure that they do whatever they need to to get back into compliance. The last element of it was they have they had built a privacy API. So they built a front end where as a consumer or subscriber, I could go to this page. I could say, you know, here's my email address or here's my uh, specific data. I want to know everything that you have on me. And that goes out to what they call their privacy API. And so from there, that privacy API, we integrated to Marketing Cloud to be able to pull all this data and share it back to those folks in near real time. And so what was really cool about that is to your point, Cole, you've got 30 days to react to it. But as we all know, we're all impatient as consumers. We want everything right when we want it. And so they're able to pull that and give that back to the consumers much quicker than those 30 days. The other element and kind of how Salesforce Marketing Cloud uh, solves for it, and we utilize this functionality within our solution for this media and entertainment company, is what's known as the Delete Contact API call. And so what's really nice is you're able to utilize the API to delete these contacts. And what it will do is it will delete that specific contact from the all subs list and any sendable data extension in the account. Uh, in addition to that, you can also put everybody into a data extension that you want to delete within Marketing Cloud and mark for complete deletion. And that will also delete them from the all subs list and every sendable data extension as well. So you can either do it through the API or through the UI. Um, either way, it goes into a queuing process. So it doesn't, it's a kind of a soft delete. You won't see it within the platform. And it's about a seven day process for that queue to run through and then hard delete. And once that hard delete happens, then uh, it will be uh, completely gone from your platform and your contact count, for example, back to Salesforce will be updated as well. Anything I missed on the, on that specific use case or how marketing cloud handles it? The one thing I'd add there, Bobby, or at least have you talk to is, is really the logging factor. Since, you know, Marketing Cloud or any kind of ESP system is typically integrated with one or many different data sources. So if, for example, you know, I'm a consumer and I want to have my stuff deleted and I make that request, how, do, how did that solution uh, account for those, you know, either API-based or ETL-based data synchronization so that, hey, although this delete request came through, um, I, I just want to make sure that my nightly sync from our data warehouse doesn't basically override that and inject it, you know, John Smith back into the system as a net new contact. Really good question for sure. And so how we solve for that um, in this particular solution, we've done it a couple of different ways, but for this company uh, specifically, what we did was log every single API call that we received. So that API call that they're making to Marketing Cloud is actually going to a data extension as well. So we're able to log every 
call? What was the purpose of the call? So was it a opt-out, request for access, or request for deletion? And then every night we take that data and send it back to their data warehouse. So that way their data warehouse has a record of every request that was made through that privacy API. In addition to that, then the warehouse can also go about deleting all of those different elements from the data warehouse and any of the other boundary systems that might be integrated or they might need to delete from. But great question, because that's another element too, right? It's not just marketing cloud we need to delete data from, it's every platform where that data might be housed. Yeah, and one distinction that, that I think, Cole, you can probably talk to there is like, okay, so I can either you know delete this information or can I just like uh, make it anonymous? So changing the PII to you know blanket so I can retain the information uh, can I still do that? Yeah, so so um, an example of that would be like a purchase. You wouldn't delete purchase information, even though it came from a customer. If that customer said, I wanted my information deleted, then you can delete all the PII around that customer. But that purchase still exists. That data still exists. But since it's not related to uh, personal information about that customer, that's still the company's data. And that's considered either, either, either product data or company data, purchase data, whatever. Uh, but that is still usable and that still defines, you know, their, their averages and, and price points and things like that. So that is still uh, acceptable. That's not considered personal information that has to be deleted. Awesome. Well, thanks guys for all the background on CCPA and the knowledge there. Now, completely unrelated. Cole, I'm going to let you go first. Favorite story, movie, series, villain? So, you know, I, there are those, there's those, those stories or those movies and stuff where you kind of secretly find yourself kind of pulling for the bad guy because, <laughs> man, the bad guy's cool. Or, or you know, that, that villain is like, like I remember, and I, I, I've got actually a few of them where I'm not really like necessarily rooting for them, but I just thought they were the most rad human beings ever like when i was a kid watching karate kid and johnny lawrence i was like i don't know i mean like i'm pulling for danny larusso i like the karate kid I, you know he's gonna do the crane kick but i don't know if johnny lawrence just won and dunned him like i wouldn't be that disappointed he's awesome you know <laughs> and he comes around at the end and you kind of see why he is that way and you sort of empathize with like he's more like the product of this like you know terrible regime of of uh bad leadership in a dojo and you're like, hey, you know what? I, I it's not his fault. I kind of like, jo I kind of <laughs> like Johnny Lawrence, you know? Um, but, but I would also put in, um, you know, like I, I, of course I can't root for Ivan Drago and Rocky four, you know, no, no American can do that. Nope. But I mean, man, he was the biggest, baddest, coolest bad guy Rocky's ever seen. I mean, that was just awesome. Um, I think I think my last one would be like which uh, again I would never root for, and maybe I have an affinity towards Russians. I don't know, but uh, in, in in the movie, in the story actually of Miracle, Miracle on Ice, where the the nineteen eighty U.S. Olympic hockey team uh, upset the world renowned like four time um, uh, straight gold medal winners, uh, the USSR team. Um, the, the Soviets, I mean, it's just such an interesting story because they were, it was the red machine. They were just unstoppable on ice. They came over and beat the NHL all-stars by like, you know, scores of like six to one and five, nothing just on a regular basis. They just had a system and athletes that were just, just incomparable to what we, what 
U.S. or, or Canada or anybody else had, had seen globally speaking. And so like seeing them is just intriguing, you know? I think there's just something about the villain, the bad guy that, you know, when they paint the picture of, of the plot with this bad guy's story and their just, I mean, overwhelming dominance of a sport or a game or an industry or a space, it just makes the story that much more intriguing. So without the bad guy, the story's not there, right? I mean, those are, those are just some of the ones that were like pivotal for me as a kid, kind of growing up being like, ooh and ah, when you think about those bad guys, you know? I'm trying to think of like, what would be the least popular favorite villain? Like who, uh, <laughs> who would just be completely inappropriate to root for? I kind of feel like uh, going back to the Rocky series, um, my wife was always terrified of Mr. T. And so I don't, I don't know that there's any scenario where you end up rooting for him, but I'd be curious of what I'm sure someone's made a list somewhere of like the worst villains of all time. But I think my favorite, you know, and, and I, um, not that I, I promote the killing of half the human race, but uh, I think <laughs> Thanos was probably my favorite uh, just because like, I, I didn't agree with his, like what he was doing, but he had such conviction to give, like to give his daughter to get basically where he needed to go. And then also he was just such a, just a bad dude as far as like what his powers were and what he could do. And, all these different things. So I think he's probably, probably my top, although it's probably a little bit of recency bias because I, I can't really think of any others right uh, now. You, you, well, got, you got to give it to Thanos that he did it in a, in a painless effort too. They just kind of drifted in the dust. Yeah. I, mm. I'll say this Good though. I think Bobby's, Bobby's probably ranking Thanos because Bobby has watched a total of like eight movies in his lifetime. So <laughs> His, <laughs> he has a very <laughs> limited scope to choose from here. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. Does, uh, and you've got mail. Does Greg Kinnear qualify as a villain? Is that, is that one of the other eight movies you've seen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's a, the, the, the third movie I've seen is uh, Pure Country, which there is a, is a villain in that one. But he's not like a real villain. You could kind of say that his, uh, you know, George Strait's manager, uh, who, you know, George, George Strait is named as Dusty Scott in the movie. His manager is kind of the villain, too, but she's not likable at all either. So, I mean, of the, of the three movies I've seen, <laughs> yeah, I feel like Thanos is really the only answer. I think we need to draw a hard line between what is the difference between an antagonist in a, in a plot versus <laughs> what is a true villain. I don't think Bobby's seen a lot of bad guys in movies yet. <laughs> I don't think I know what antagonist, antagonist means, so we should probably start there. <laughs> oh, boy. Nick, what about you? Nick, how about you? Um, okay, so the, the ultimate worst villain, so just to address that, Bobby, because I, I know that the, the number one villain out there is Cruella de Vil. Anybody that wants to kill puppies um, is probably the oh, worst. Oh, man. The and, worst. Yeah, if somebody supports relative. Uh, Wait a minute. Uh, Have you felt Dalmatian fur, though? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm got to be careful of that person that likes Corella DeVille, I got to say. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm going to boil this down into two categories. One is uh, Disney, because everybody has a Disney favorite. Um, my favorite Disney villain is, is McLeach. I actually don't know his first name. Uh, but McLeach from Rescuers Down Under, 
he was a poacher in in uh australia down under and um he he was played by the the guy john c or george c scott so if you're familiar with him i absolutely love that guy and he made a great villain and i was kind of rooting for him because you know poaching is not that bad right <laughs> and then here's here's my best one um if you guys have seen training day with denzel washington and ethan hawk oh oh I, I good call for the first time uh or for my wife's first time and i didn't tell her at all like you know the story turns about like three quarters of the way through that denzel's actually the bad guy <laughs> and she's like oh i love this movie and then when he flipped when it like got revealed that he's actually the bad guy and he set everything up Sorry for the spoiler. Um, she was like, I hate this movie. And I'm like, but Denzel is so cool in it. Like, even <laughs> to the end, he's King Kong. Yeah, he, that's, that is a good one. Uh, but it doesn't really matter if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I'm rooting for Denzel either way because he's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was, the, uh, that was the first rated R movie I saw in theaters. I, uh, I, went with, I was a freshman in high school, and I... Uh, I even bought two tickets because I was afraid my parents were going to find out. So I had my friend's uh, sister, who was 18 or something, buy the ticket. And then when I got to the theater, I bought a different ticket because I just wanted to make sure that if like, I could bring home my ticket stub, you know, put it on the dresser. And that way, if my parents saw it, they would never know. And to this day, I still don't think they know. So sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> I got caught my first one. My, I was the youngest. Uh, uh, it was a family reunion. I was the youngest cousin on my side. I went and watched snake eyes with Nicolas cage um and like we we told them that like all the older cousins went to see snake eyes and like myself and a couple others went to see like some pg movie or something i forget what the decoy movie was uh but then we went home afterwards and we're watching the news and uh like the my 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 parents and everybody's sitting around watching the news and we kind of come in and in the commercial uh for the for the snake eyes movies comes on and like the kids that, that saw it were like, they, they laughed at some joke that happened in the, uh, in the preview, you know, and they're like, Oh, hi. and I was like, Oh, I don't get it. Cause you know, cause I didn't go to see the movie. Right. And then my cousin Tracy turns around and goes, no, remember that's the part where he does this. And I was like, ah, Tracy, you ruined it. <laughs> and everybody's like, boo, they start throwing pillows at her. And I get in trouble. <laughs> oh, terrible. oh, that's great. It was bad. Guys. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to In the Clouds. So we are, uh, as always, you can uh, email us, ask questions, give us topic ideas, all that good stuff at in the clouds at lovedigital.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.